0: This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler's Northeast Operations. And once again, thanks for joining us. Well, according to U.S. Labor Department statistics, nearly 5,000 workers died from a work-related injury in the U.S. in 2015, And about 3 million non-fatal workplace injuries and illnesses were reported by private industry employers. And, of course, those are significant numbers. This year, one of the more controversial regulatory revisions involves an OSHA rule, more commonly known as the Volk rule, which required employers to be accountable for safety violations for up to five years after a death or injury claim was presented. And this new rule now reduces that time period to six months, so while alleviating the record keeping for companies, this action also opens the door for possible noncompliance and creates a potential incentive for underreporting workplace injuries and deaths. Needless to say, many employers are happy with the rule changes, while employee advocates are not. To sort out the controversial issue, we have as our guest today Alan Pierce from the law offices of Pierce, Pierce and Napolitano from Salem, Massachusetts. Alan is one of the country's top workers' comp attorneys, and he's a fellow with the College of Workers' Compensation Lawyers. His widely followed podcast, Workers' Compensation Matters, can be heard on the Legal Talk Network at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And uh, Alan, great to speak with you again. You're just one of the top guys in the business, and I'm I'm happy to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thanks, Larry. Um, I'm, again, happy to be here. Thank you for the kind words.
1: And joining me today as co-host is my friend and Ringler colleague, Bob Capels. Bob manages Ringler's Houston area office and has spent more than 20 years as a structured settlement consultant. He's one of the best. Welcome, Bob. Great having you as our co-host.
3: Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Terrific. So, Alan, let's begin by discussing the Volks Rule and why OSHA created it in the first place.
2: Well, a little history is always helpful to put things like this into proper perspective. Uh, OSHA stands for the Occupational Safety and Health Act, and specifically the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970. This was a law uh, signed by President Nixon on, on December 29th of 1970 to protect workers' safety and health. The actual mission of uh, this legislation was to assure, so far as possible, every working man and woman in the nation safe and healthful working conditions. So it's been 47 years now, almost 47 years, since OSHA came into existence. And what OSHA does is it publishes standards, safety standards, and enforces those safety standards around the country. Uh, OSHA's authority extends primarily to the private sector. It does not extend to um, governmental workplaces, although state and local governments are encouraged uh, to um, actually implement their own occupational safety and health guidelines, and many, many do. Um, and actually, part of the OSHA Act encourages states to develop and operate their own state OSHA programs, occupational safety and health programs. So even back in 1970, um, there was always but the political question as to how far can the federal government reach into uh, the individual states. And we're seeing, of course, a lot of that in our politics today. So uh, OSHA um, now has um, 10 regional uh, offices. Uh, They employ uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of inspectors, uh, engineers, investigators, physicians, standards writers, technical and support personnel and they establish and um ongoing standards and enforce those standards and it in it's in that setting uh that the so-called volks rule has evolved and has changed
1: interesting and uh you know i think bob's going to ask you a little bit about the uh, the litigation and that that led to that but uh you're right about you know, the regulations that OSHA passes over the years, uh, a lot of employers think they've become onerous, and a lot of employee advocates uh, think they're not onerous enough. Uh, so this is this is forming uh, the basis of of kind of a, a public argument today on how far OSHA should go. And uh, I think what we're going to be talking about today is going to be helpful, I think, in understanding for the audience. Bob?
3: That's exactly right, Larry. And to that point, Alan, you as you know, the Volks rule stems from a 2012 legal case, specifically Volks constructors versus Secretary of Labor. And I'm just going to ask you if you could give us some specifics on this case and what led to this rule.
2: Yeah, well, the Volks case, uh, I mean, you want to talk about getting into very esoteric areas of, of law, labor law, and OSHA law and regulation. Um, There's nothing really particularly sexy about the Volks case. It had to do with a series of citations, uh, penalties, and fines that the Volks constructors, a small or medium-sized contracting uh, company, uh, incurred uh, because they uh, were cited for failing to record injuries or illnesses within a certain Five-year period, but there is within the OSHA statute a six-month statute of limitations uh, for which a company can be cited or fined for failing to comply. So the issue in uh, the Volks case, and then the Volks rule, and then the uh, essential, essentially the abolition of the Volks rule by President Trump and Congress. Uh, was when does this six-month period begin to run? Is it six months from the date the employer did not um, file the necessary record-keeping of of an illness or an injury? Or is it, as uh, safety proponents and OSHA OSHA itself had interpreted it, uh, is it a continuing violation so that if if you fail to do this at any time within a five-year retrospective look-back, Uh, that it's it's essentially the employer had five years and six months to report. Um, So the Volks rule essentially was the more liberal of the two. It basically said that the violation uh, of not reporting, uh, making an accurate record of an injury or illness, um, but not done within six months, that was a continuing violation so that even during that five-year period, that six-month period doesn't start. Until the end of that five-year period, it's very confusing. Yeah,
1: it's very interesting. Um, it's very interesting. But why? But, why is the rollback, Alan? Why is the rollback of required of this required reporting significant for the legal and insurance industry? Why? Why? I, I understand there are nuances of of timing. Why is it important?
2: Well, first of all, I think the importance is you know we've been hearing a lot about dog whistles. You know what what. This current administration and and what some of our politicians say or what they don 't say, or what are the signals of the messages that they are sending to their constituent base in this case, I would say the employer community, if we go back if you know in history barely um, barely ten years after OSHA was established, we elected a a very conservative president president in ronald reagan and and what he did at the early stages of his initial term. It's very similar to what we've been reading about today. Within nine days of taking office, uh, Reagan froze all federal regulations. And in 81, um, February of 81, barely uh, a month after taking office, uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce submitted a list of 10 OSHA rulemakings to their task force on regulatory reform. And they basically started to roll back a lot of OSHA's gains back then. And the justification for that uh, was to Remove the burden on on uh, industry and the employers uh, from unnecessary or uh, burdensome record keeping and rulemaking, and I think we're seeing some of the same thing going on again. Uh, and you know, the the last and we're recording the show in, in in August of 2017, so we've had eight months of of, of a new administration. And I'm learning things that I never learned in civics class. Um, you know, we learned about the House and the Senate and, and um, passing bills and uh, vetoes of bills. But there is a whole sub-layer of rulemaking um, that we're starting to, to learn about. You know, when President Trump um, came into office, he uh, issued a variety of uh, executive orders. And, in fact, before Obama left office, he issued... A uh, an order uh, entitled, and I'm going to uh, put it in quotes: clarification of employers' continuing obligation to make and maintain accurate records of each recordable injury and illness. Close quote. That is what's informally referred to as the Volks rule, and basically, in December of 2016, shortly before leaving office, uh, this clarification. Basically said that the six month limitation is a rolling um, um, period so that it broadened uh, the the period of time an employer could be cited despite the Volks decision so how do you undo a presidential executive order well there 's a whole mechanism um, to do that, and it is um, referred to as a Congressional Review Act, a CRA, and Congress and the President within six months of oh an executive order or something you know something other than a, a bill signed into law uh, can, under a CRA or Congressional Review Authorization or Act, they can have the um, Congress um, issue a joint resolution in this case. Um, our Congress uh, split uh, quite expectedly on party lines, issued a joint House resolution, which would nullify uh, Obama's clarification. And in April of 2017, House Joint Resolution 83 was signed by President Trump, and that was... um, um, it targeted the OSHA's rule that aimed to clarify this five-and-a-half-year rather than six-month period. Interesting. Yeah.
3: So, Alan, you gave us a little bit of a bonus with some civic uh, lessons there. I appreciate it. Um, in your estimation, uh, Alan, how can the abolishment of the OSHA Vokes rule potentially impact the health and safety of workers?
2: In and of itself, very little, if at all. Uh, Keep in mind that the employers still have an obligation uh, to maintain for five years accurate records of injuries or illness. So the abolishment of the Volks Rule does nothing to change that. The only thing it does is it relieves an employer from paying a penalty or a citation fine uh, for not doing it within six months. And that if they if they report it after six months or don't report it at all, there's no citation for that. But they still have the obligation to report it. They've just taken away a citation for that. So, in effect, I don't think it's going to uh, change very much in terms of safety or lack of safety. What it does, in my view, is signal that perhaps we may see again what we saw back in the 80s under Reagan. Uh, a watering down of, of OSHA um, for political reasons. Uh, under Reagan, the OSHA budget was reduced. Uh, the staffing was reduced. Uh, inspectors began to cite fewer serious violations and greatly reduce the size of penalties assessed. And they did a very, various other things that were very much business and employer friendly. Uh, so if I were to say anything about the abolition of the so-called Volks rule, I would probably say it har- it's a harbinger of perhaps things to come, where more substantive uh, uh, enforcement mechanisms within OSHA uh, might be reduced. There may be uh, delays. There may be fewer inspections, et cetera.
1: Right. Well, you know that's that's true, and uh, of course, that counterbalancing all that is is you know sometimes you get these regulatory agencies. Overburdening uh, the, you know, their what they're regulating by coming out with potentially uh, regulations that maybe not quite as necessary as they think they are. So I think there's a balance that needs to take place there, and I think that's hopefully what what'll take place after all of this back and forth politically. Well, with that, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back right here on Ringle Radio with my co-host Bob Caples and our special guest Alan Pierce. We'll be right back. This
0: is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com
1: to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. We're talking today with our special guest, Attorney Alan Pierce from Salem, Massachusetts, and our guest host, Bob Caples from Houston, and we're discussing the abolishment of the OSHA Volks Rule. Uh, Alan, let's talk a little bit more about this. Do, do you believe the abolishment of the Volks Rule also removes the consequences for the employers who may use bad business practices in the workplace? In other words, do you foresee uh, problems ensuing from this abolishment of the Volks Rule that maybe were not anticipated when it was abolished?
2: I really don't, Larry. Um... You know, a, a, a lawsuit obviously will, will emanate from a um, presumably a single accident or f- perhaps a safety a safety failure by an employer. Um, so generally, when that happens, when there are lawsuits, there is usually, if it's a death, a serious injury, or somebody actually calls OSHA in after an accident, because uh, anybody can do that—the the injured worker, his attorney, anybody can trigger an investigation. A citation, if if warranted, will issue. So the Volks rule of a six-month reporting requirement really doesn't, whether it exists or doesn't exist, doesn't really factor into it. There is a, a presumably an immediate investigation by a particular injury. If citations issue, those citations can be some evidence, uh, sometimes very powerful evidence of uh, safety violations which may um, impose liability. Now, keep in mind, in a, uh, a workplace where a worker is injured, There generally is no lawsuit against the employer because workers' comp preempts a lawsuit. So, you know, in terms of lawsuits due to workplace injuries in which the employer is being sued, that has to be by somebody injured other than an employee. So there aren't that many of those out there. But even within the workers' comp context, uh, many states, including Massachusetts, have various ways that employers might financially be penalized in the workers' comp setting of a serious injury where there have been serious safety violations in Massachusetts. We call it serious willful misconduct under Section 28, or so-called double compensation. And it's in those cases where we, as attorneys for injured workers, utilize OSHA citations and violations as some evidence or sometimes all the evidence of of employer serious misconduct.
1: Yeah, and you know, uh, even in the liability arena, if if there's been a, a a an injury caused by some product or some other issue, often they look to see whether either OSHA had a rule for the place that this product might have been, in, you know, involved in the employment scenario or or whatever. There there are always regulatory agencies out there that if there's been violations and they're they're codified, it it clearly helps the plaintiff Theoretically, helps the plaintiff uh, with their case.
2: It does, and, and abolition of the Volks rule. Really, I can't see hardly any situation where that would impact. Um, you know, the OSHA Act is still there; the standards are still there. And usually, in these cases, since OSHA investigators aren't uh, aren't permitted to come in to testify, they can't be witnesses. Generally, expert witnesses retained by plaintiffs or defendants will use the OSHA standards in whatever way suits their particular. Advocacy purpose
1: exactly and nothing changes nothing I,
2: changes by abolition of the Vos Rule. exactly it's basically a record keeping statute of limitations exactly uh, issue Alan, uh so with the with the abolishment of the
3: Vos Rule, how can safety in the workplace be effectively monitored
2: first of all um, employers should self monitor because uh, unsafe workplaces um, uh, lead to higher frequency of accidents and higher premiums and higher costs, et cetera. But we all know that's not enough. Um, So long as OSHA is appropriately staffed and continue to issue uh, fines and citations when violations are noted and do not water down those violations or reduce them from serious to to not serious, Um, and and we still have an effective enforcement mechanism through the federal government or through the state, um, different safety agencies, uh, then the government, federal or state, is doing as much as it can um, to effectively try to monitor safety in the workplace. It will never be perfect. There will be employers who will cut corners uh, um, to cut costs. um, But something like um, abolishing a six-month reporting period um, or the five years within that six-month reporting period uh, starts, will probably have very little effect on, on worker safety except to the fact that it may signal a laxity uh, of enforcement that we have not seen since the eighties.
1: Yeah, you made that point, uh Alan, and I think it's a point well taken. We'll all keep our eyes on uh how the legislation moves forward in uh in in a lot of different arenas. So with that, let's wrap up the show. Uh Alan, uh, it's been great. I wanna ask you if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do that?
2: Um our firm website is www.ppnlaw, That's Peter Paul Nancy, PPN dot com. We're here in Salem, Massachusetts and uh We uh, would be delighted to uh, speak to anybody who has a question about this or Workers' Comp.
1: Terrific. And, Bob, uh, if someone wanted to contact you, how would they do that?
3: Thanks, Larry. And, Alan, thank you, too. It's been an honor to be uh, on the show with you today, and thanks for all the great information. Um, I can be reached, Larry, uh, simply by either looking at the com website under Robert Caples or uh, directly by my office line, 281 937-9090. 937-9090.
1: Terrific. And I want, to, uh, I want to repeat what Bob just said about RinglerAssociates.com. Uh, the website is terrific, and you can find any Ringler Associate on that website. Go to it, and, uh, and a lot of other information as well on structured settlements and uh, a lot of other issues. And, of course, if you want to listen to Ringler Radio shows, many, many of them, you can go to RinglerAssociates.com, RinglerRadio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or go to iTunes, where you can download and listen at your leisure. So with that, I want to say thanks for listening out to everybody. And I want to thank you again, Alan, for being a great guest.
2: Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Larry.
1: Terrific. And Bob, again, great, great co-hosting as usual.
0: Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it.
1: Terrific. And all the rest of you out there, go have a great day.
0: Celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.